Oh, hoy, hoy. This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast at True North FFB on the box socials. Thanks to our sponsors like Trophy Smack, Monkey Knife Fight, Underdog, and the big dog, FantasyPoints.com. FantasyPoints.com is a collection of elite analysts, a buffet of niche-filling fanatics like Fantasy Super Friends style, uh, a lot of whom, by the way, set out to create an ideal fantasy resource, which I think they've accomplished. And because a lot of these upper echelon analysts are invested in the quality and whatnot, you know it's top-notch, and you have to worry about your favorite person going over to another company or whatever. So subscribe if you aren't already, which you should be. Most elite fantasy players already are. True North 22 all caps is the promo code. And right now with the NFL draft around the corner, the prospect guide is worth the price of admission itself. If you ask me, it's a lot of Greg Cosell's takes one of the best evaluators alive and Wes Huber's tireless uh, Debbie efforts are reflected in that bad boy too. Uh, it's just a must have for people trying to find values in fantasy, particularly in best ball. When it comes to these rookies and after the draft as well, when we have draft capital landing spots for the incoming class, it's just an invaluable resource at that point too. Uh, fantasypoints.com is just the the MVP of fantasy resources, uh, if you're asking me. And speaking of rookies, guys, I'm going to talk about the rookie quarterback class from last season, the much pumped up 2021 rookie quarterbacks who didn't really deliver in year one uh, from a fantasy standpoint. I'm kind of taking a break from the usual talking points and topics uh, right now. I mean, we're being pummeled with free agency implications and of course, rookies with the NFL draft just a couple weeks away. And I want to talk about the rookie quarterbacks from last season uh, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, they disappointed in 2021 for fantasy, right? Uh, despite a unique season where so many were selected so high in the NFL draft, right? And number two, most importantly, sophomore quarterbacks are very good fantasy folks to bet on going into year two. We want to buy sophomore quarterbacks. Number three, we've shifted how we attack the quarterback position. It, it's changed in fantasy, and we want quarterbacks with a specific skill set more often than not, and those quarterbacks have become much more expensive, making it harder to identify uh, league-winning quarterbacks later on in fantasy drafts. And league-winning quarterbacks is a thing now, too. An elite quarterback seems more important than ever if you want to win your fantasy league. So I want to talk about these quarterbacks. I want to look at some historical data for quarterbacks selected top 15 in the NFL draft, peek at their rookie woes, uh, but more importantly, highlight the sophomore wows in fantasy, the big leap that they take from year one to year two. So I got my Java juice. I got my water, got my pen. Let's get into it because it was an especially peculiar year for quarterbacks last year with the buzz around the position that I alluded to when it comes to fantasy. And we had a handful of quarterbacks who were likely to go in the top half of the first round. And lo and behold, five signal callers went in the top 15 picks of the NFL draft in 2021. Then come fantasy season, the guy with the lowest draft capital of those five ended up finishing the highest in fantasy, Mac Jones, of course. But, you know, after all, he was just the quarterback 18. Taking that a bit further, the last time no rookie quarterbacks finished top 17 in fantasy at the quarterback position was 2017. Interestingly enough, that was a class that included Deshaun Watson and, of course, Pat Mahomes, who barely played that year. But that pair went on to be two of the best quarterbacks in all of fantasy during their sophomore seasons. And that's what I want to focus on here, right? With a handful of quarterbacks headed into their second seasons who all have significant draft capital attached to them but also left kind of bad tastes in our mouth after 2021. Quickly though, 
the discount. The discount is what this whole thing is about. Everything in fantasy is about price, right? What do you have to pay for a guy in fantasy drafts, their market value in dynasty, and what is being baked into those prices? And if you don't believe me about how much the quarterback position has changed, if it sounded like fantasy blasphemy saying that, you know, late round quarterback is no longer viable, the top five quarterbacks in fantasy last year were all drafted in the top seven rounds of fantasy drafts, top five overall and in points per game. The top seven quarterbacks all went in the top eight rounds and the top 10 quarterbacks were all selected in the top 10 rounds of fantasy drafts in 2021. And do you know how many quarterbacks drafted uh, as the quarterback 13 or lower in average draft position finished as top 10 quarterbacks in fantasy last year? Zero. So it's hard to find quarterbacks later on in fantasy drafts who offer the traits or some of the upside that we covet. But there is a bunch of these sophomore quarterbacks here who could help us buck that trend in 2022, we kind of knew that the position was changing heading into 2021. I think at True North FFB, we kind of got ahead of that. And because we're always trying to identify some late round quarterbacks and drafts, and because we look for those particular traits, the names that actually kept coming up last year who possessed those traits, they were the rookies, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, even, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they were very common picks of mine in best ball drafts, especially uh, when it came to three quarterback builds. I also like them in redraft. If you missed out on like the tier of quarterbacks that included Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, all that. And I'm going to make an argument today that we should go right back to the well. I'll talk about the guys individually. I'm going to contextualize their situations and trajectories, their values and fantasy across all formats. But first, if you give me five minutes of your time, because I actually, I really like a lot of these quarterbacks that we're going to talk about because they have some big talent. And like I said, they have the attributes that we love for fantasy. But even in a vacuum, just looking at the math from the historical data, what it hammers home, in my opinion, is that we should be chasing quarterbacks after their rookie season heading into their second season. And that also has such a trickle-down effect with all the weapons involved in all of those offenses, of course. And, you know, when they have draft capital attached to them, it's crazy if they don't take a big step in fantasy in year two. So talent aside, the 2021 quarterbacks should gain a lot of value next season, and we should even expect some QB1 campaigns. But let's look at some of the numbers. Stay with me here, please. Over the last 10 years, 25 quarterbacks have been selected in the top 15 picks of the NFL draft. 25 if we include this past year's collection of quarterbacks. And... Here are the rookie fantasy woes on full display. Only four of them gave fantasy owners QB1 performances in year one. 84% of the time, rookie quarterbacks drafted top 15 failed to deliver on top 12 seasons in fantasy in the rookie seasons. The guys who did, by the way, you have Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Andrew Luck, and RG3. So you have a couple quarterbacks from 2019, but before that, you have to go all the way back to 2012. And it's the same in points per game, unless you include Deshaun Watson, in which case you get five QB1 seasons from top 15 picks uh, out of 25 names. And, you know, so that just shows that quarterbacks usually play in year one. They just don't do very well for fantasy. And a lot goes into this. Think about first overall pick uh, from 2020, Joe Burrow. He ended up getting injured that season. He finished as the quarterback 25, I believe. But he was still barely a top 20 quarterback in points per game as a rookie before putting up, of course, a QB1 season in his second year this uh, past season. And like I mentioned, getting on the field is usually a prerequisite for quarterbacks selected in the top 15. But, you know, you have somebody like Pat Mahomes, for example, who was behind Alex Smith, of course. So 
my point is that obstacles do exist for rookie quarterbacks. And one of those obstacles can be just learning so many new things, including a new playbook, new coaching staff, new weapons. Like an obstacle is just the transition to the NFL more often than not. And I think that can help explain why so few rookie quarterbacks hit the ground running, no matter how highly touted they are, and no matter how much the college and pro game gap seems to have closed in uh, in recent seasons. Somebody like Trevor Lawrence will still need to get his feet wet, but that does not mean that these guys can't take big steps in year two because they almost always do. So that's some of the reasons why we have just the four top 12 seasons from 25 examples of the highest drafted quarterbacks over the past decade. And top 12 is actually a pretty high bar historically. On average, over the past decade, rookie quarterbacks drafted top 15 don't even score as quarterback twos. Those 25 quarterbacks average fantasy finish in year one is quarterback 24.7. Rounding up, that means quarterback 25 is our expectation for a rookie quarterback over the past decade, no matter how high they get drafted. Because, you know, we're obviously going to have a lot more faith in a guy who goes first overall compared to uh, a Dwayne Haskins uh, or something who went 15th overall. But we have to remember that those first overall dudes are going to pretty awful situations. That's why the team was in position to draft them, right? So remembering quarterback 25 average for rookie quarterbacks with draft capital, I want to marry that with what we're talking about here. And that's how much better they do in year two, because this is the point. On average, those same quarterbacks scored as the quarterback 15 on average in year two. They go from fantasy afterthoughts, uh, non-starters in Superflex technically, to top 15 quarterbacks in their second season. That is a jump of almost 10 spots. And since we can't include this year's rookie class yet, of the 20 remaining quarterbacks in this sample, nine of them delivered quarterback one performances in year two. So a 16% hit rate for rookie quarterbacks, drafted top 15, scoring top 12 in fantasy in year one, goes to almost half of them in year two. And I know I'm using a lot of numbers, but I think it's important. And I know as well that this conversation sounds like a ceiling thing or maybe some really talented quarterbacks can prop up the numbers or some really bad quarterbacks can suppress the numbers but the safety or the floor for fantasy that these quarterbacks have displayed in year two is almost more impressive just seven of 25 quarterbacks in this sample finished top 20 at the quarterback position during the rookie season that's under 30 percent but in their second season 80 percent of them go on to finish top 20 in fantasy 16 of the previous 20 sophomore quarterbacks who went top 15 in the NFL draft finished top 20 in fantasy during their second season, which I think is very notable for super flexors and very notable with five guys meeting that super simple criteria of just top 15 draft capital heading into their sophomore seasons in 2022. The only guys who didn't in the last 10 years, by the way, we have Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, Sam Darno, Tua, and Daniel Jones. And there's, a longer conversation here we get into about outliers and all that. But really, all there is to say is that rookie quarterbacks with high draft capital absolutely soar in fantasy during their second seasons after really not giving us much during their rookie years. And I promise I am going to get to these quarterbacks individually, but I think I should quickly touch on a question that could you know arise from some of the data I just laid out or maybe touch on something from a dynasty perspective, maybe you're asking, like, does all this mean we shouldn't target rookie quarterbacks in fantasy drafts? Well, it's a tough question to answer because price is everything, right? I've already said that, but it's so true. Everything is in relation to what they cost us in a fantasy draft or via trade. And we attack the quarterback position very differently in a best ball tournament, for instance, versus a dynasty league. I think 
in dynasty, there seems to be contrasting concepts that crop up when it comes to quarterbacks. And I think dynasty allows for multiple things to be true at the same time. In dynasty, I think a few things that are true about quarterbacks is that we should definitely gravitate towards younger quarterbacks in a startup and stuff, especially in super flex, obviously. But when it comes to rookies, we just really need to manage our expectations in year one. Expect to take a lot of lumps to the head from that guy and just don't bank on these guys right out of the gate. Kyler Murray might be the only exception I can think of in recent memory too. Maybe Justin Herbert, but that seems like, you know, with the power of hindsight, we can say that. But rookie quarterbacks are just sketchy. I mean, according to Pro Football Reference, only four quarterbacks had a bad throw rate of 20% or higher in 2021. Three of them were rookies, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and even uh, the much, much hyped up Trevor Lawrence. The three lowest on target rates were those three quarterbacks in 2021 as well. And the rookie woes, I think, make another thing true in Dynasty, and that's that veteran quarterbacks can be greatly undervalued. And while some folks would say that those are kind of contrasting ideas, I think that's the beauty of dynasty leagues. You can pair a Matthew Stafford with a Justin Fields, and there's just a lot more wiggle room or acceptable philosophies inside of roster construction, right? So as we go through these quarterbacks today, as we continue to absorb, you know, rookie hype leading up to the NFL draft, just keep in mind that it's never a bad idea to pair these guys with a veteran signal caller. So let's get into it. Let's get into the weeds with some of these 2021 rookie quarterbacks. Uh, let's start at the top with Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick last year in the NFL draft. He went as the quarterback seven in FFPC dynasty drafts from August until the start of last season, like that prime draft season as we uh, as we think of it. Uh, a top 10 overall pick in Superflex dynasty drafts. He was also drafted as the quarterback 15 in best ball drafts last year during that span. And that's about where I have him ranked heading into his sophomore season. So not the type of bump we'd expect to see, but that's more due to the fact that he was so highly touted coming out of college, right? Um, when it comes to prices that we have to pay in fantasy for Trevor Lawrence, he is going to have a lot of upside baked into his price, I think. And that's why you see currently that he's the quarterback six in FFPC dynasty leagues year to date quarterback 18 in best ball drafts. So that is a pretty crazy chasm that you see there from one format to the next. Uh, and I will say right off the bat, I'm much lower in dynasty. I'm taking quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott ahead of him. I'll even take veterans like Russell Wilson ahead of him because I like to play dynasty in that two to five year window, not that five to 10 year window, uh, especially since I can take a Justin Fields or Trey Lance or both uh, to pair alongside a Russell Wilson. Or maybe I elect to go in on a, a Kyler Murray, a Justin Herbert, a Josh Allen, a Pat Mahomes, and I can pair them with veterans later on in a startup draft. So I think there's just not a lot of instances that I anticipate myself rushing to the podium to take Trevor Lawrence. With that being said, I also see the arguments, the multitude of areas in which he can improve in to facilitate like a big breakout 2022 season. But to highlight why he was a higher pick in 2021 best ball drafts compared to what he costs right now starts with him being such a special talent coming out of college football. And the reason for the dip in price is probably mostly his situation. And right away, heading into 2022, Trevor Lawrence is up against some other obstacles here. He will be playing under a new head coach, uh, his third head coach in two years, which is very rare. Uh, Urban Meyer out. And, you know, anyways, Doug Peterson comes in. That means a new playbook. There's also a few new weapons in the passing game. And as much as some 
might want to use the weapons as a plus, you don't have instant chemistry and rapport. Not to mention, they kind of went shopping in the land of misfit toys, in my opinion. And uh, what we got in year one from Trevor Lawrence, it was disappointing because it feels like justifiably we graded him on a curve given the historical prospect brush that he was painted with coming into 2021. But Lawrence gave fantasy owners just three top 12 performances last year in fantasy, just two during the fantasy season. And those two outings came against the Titans and the Falcons who were both top 10 matchups for quarterbacks in 2021, just two games with 300 plus yards passing for Lawrence. And he registered one of the worst fantasy points per drop back numbers on PFF. That was all despite the volume being there. Lawrence had the six most pass attempts in football. He was seventh in intended air yards. And I wanted to pause there really quick and just mention that Doug Peterson coming in, what he showed us in Philly was volume. Yet, you know, that was with a much better team with a stellar offensive line. But the point is that efficiency will be the key for Trevor Lawrence. And for Lawrence in year one, the efficiency was surprisingly nowhere to be found. And we can't just chalk that up to situation. In fact, Lawrence had the third worst completion percentage above expectation per next gen stats. Only Mike Glennon and fellow top three pick uh, in the NFL draft, Zach Wilson, were worse. And I mentioned he had one of the lowest on target rates in 2021. And that's the scary thing talking about Trevor Lawrence, who was supposed to be you know, one of the best prospects of all time, certainly more highly touted and universally embraced than uh, the likes of of Zach Wilson and, and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, right? And those two also wound up dwelling in the basement in a lot of similar statistics as Trevor Lawrence. But while we're talking about situation and stuff, I'd say Zach Wilson and Justin Fields have a lot more built-in excuses when it comes to the lack of efficiency, the inaccuracy. I mean, both Zach Wilson and Justin Fields had pressure rates that would make any quarterback's numbers dip. Uh, both were under pressure around 30% of the time. Zach Wilson was the most pressured quarterback per pro football reference. Fields was under pressure the fifth most. Lawrence was under pressure about 22.5% of the time. That was 17th amongst qualified quarterbacks. The Bears and Jets also had far worse pass blocking grades on PFF than the Jaguars. So we can't even say that Jacksonville just couldn't keep Trevor Lawrence upright or that the time to throw didn't allow for deep balls or play action to manifest or whatever. And I think that does give us some pause for thought, right? Because guys like Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, um, they're going to be a lot cheaper in fantasy, particularly in dynasty leagues. Like, the volume, again, it was great, especially for a rookie quarterback. It was just the efficiency that sucked. Like Lawrence was sixth in attempts, 13th in completion, seventh in air yards, 12th in completed air yards. And that led to Lawrence ranking 17th in passing yards because the yards per attempt was just brutal. It was dead last among qualified quarterbacks. Lawrence had the fewest yards passing among any quarterback with 520 pass attempts last season. And he had over 600. Then if we move to touchdowns, it gets even worse because we think of some of those stats and even after the lack of efficiency, the volume was high, the efficiency was middling, uh, or at least like the completions and the yardage and all that. But when we look at touchdowns and we keep in mind that the volume was top 10, 12th and 17th in completed air yards and passing yards respectively, 27 quarterbacks threw more touchdown passes than Trevor Lawrence. His 2% touchdown rate ranked dead last amongst qualified starters in 2021. And a touchdown rate of 2%, by the way, that is historically ugly. It's the single worst touchdown rate of any quarterback with 500 plus pass attempts in NFL history. In 2021, 13 quarterbacks threw a touchdown twice as often. 
Lawrence had an eight game stretch where he threw just one touchdown pass. 39 guys had more touchdown passes during that span. And it's only 32 teams here, guys. And again, this isn't all up to situation, really. Like, I mean, Jacksonville was third last in red zone trips, but Lawrence was tied for 15th in end zone throws on PFF. And looking at the uh, at the end zone throws, like you, you see the efficiency or the lack thereof come into play big time. Only nine of his 31 end zone attempts turned into touchdowns for reference. Pat Mahomes also had 31 end zone attempts, but he turned 17 of those into touchdowns, almost twice as many. And you can actually look at the end zone efficiency and touchdowns for reasons why some quarterbacks had such little success or as much success as they did in the touchdown column. Like Justin Fields, for example, just five of his 22 end zone attempts went for a touchdown. Meanwhile, somebody like Mac Jones converted 50% of his end zone attempts into touchdowns, 13 of 26. So there's definitely some luck involved there, but efficiency is why Mac Jones ended up scoring more fantasy points than any other rookie quarterback, including Trevor Lawrence in 2021. But again, this is an area in which Lawrence can improve drastically. And the touchdown rate is a classic uh, can't get worse complex here. I mean, how many times can I say Trevor Lawrence was one of the most hyped quarterbacks of all time, but he went on to have one of the least efficient quarterback seasons of all time. And because of the tight tiers that we see every year at the quarterback position, the small margins in terms of points per game between, say, the quarterback 11 and the quarterback 22 or whatever, touchdowns can really make all the difference. And some luck in that department can be the difference between a quarterback 10 performance and a quarterback 18 season in fantasy, just as a, a random example. Also, the rushing and the rushing touchdowns were kind of disappointing for Lawrence uh, talking about regression. He scored a rushing touchdown in his first game of his career, but he failed to score on the ground in any other game afterwards, despite having a dozen red zone carries and half a dozen goal line rush attempts, which is actually tied for the fifth most amongst qualified quarter or amongst quarterbacks on, uh, on PFF. So touchdowns will go up in his sophomore season. And if it happens, touchdowns will be the catalyst for Trevor Lawrence having that big breakout season in 2022, like there's a lot of areas to illuminate in terms of Lawrence having a lot of room to improve. Another one would be play action, by the way. Maybe I'll touch on that. Only 10 quarterbacks had more play action pass attempts this season, but 20 quarterbacks had more yards off play action and buddy had a 1.4% play action touchdown rate. That is kind of an anomaly. Like there's no reason that Geno fucking Smith should have had more touchdowns off play action compared to Lawrence who had six times as many play action pass attempts, right? And a lot of the quarterback's deep shots, I think, can come off play action too. So the explosive plays could come with an improvement in that facet of the game as well because the big plays just weren't there in 2021. I mentioned the air yards to completed air yards gap. And Lawrence had just five 40-plus yard completions this uh, this past season. Uh, he was middle of the pack. When you look at PFF deep ball attempts, passes that traveled 20-plus yards through the air, his 18 deep ball completions were just brutal, though. Like He was middle of the pack in deep ball attempts, but averaged just over one completed deep ball per game, just a 30% completion percentage on such throws. He ranked 23rd in passing yards off deep balls, and he threw just four touchdown passes on deep balls to six interceptions. Only Taylor Heineke uh, had more deep ball interceptions than Trevor Lawrence in 2021. And his quarterback rating was under 50 on deep ball attempts, the worst of any quarterback with over 16 deep ball attempts, and he had 60 of them. So... I point a lot of that out because we know Trevor Lawrence has the arm strength and we thought his deep passing prowess was kind of a big allure for, 
for T-Law coming out. And furthermore, we saw somebody like Joe Burrow struggle in year one as the number one overall pick, particularly in the deep passing department. And then they go and add like a Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow more than delivered in the deep passing categories in his second season. Eh? Uh, and I think we could see a similar story unfold for Trevor Lawrence in 2022. I think the weapons are a difference maker though. Like Lawrence doesn't have a Jamar chase. The Jags don't even have a T Higgins for that matter. In my opinion, they lost the DJ Chark and Marvin Jones isn't getting on any younger. When you think of who's going to offer that deep ball, you know, upside, uh, from his receiving corpse and the weapons last year, you know, a lot of guys are getting help from their weapons. A lot of schemes are scheming up yards after the catch and stuff. That was not the case for Trevor Lawrence. Sunshine got just 4.6 yards after the catch per completed pass in 2021 from the weapons in the Jaguars offense, the fourth fewest per pro football reference. The Jags also sported the fifth worst drop rate last year. So the weapons they added could definitely help with some of that. Not sure how much they help with the deep passing, but the hopes is that the efficiency off play action improves. And then the rest I think is totally up to Trevor Lawrence. He needs to improve his efficiency across the board. And the point is that the dynasty prices are very steep considering how incrementally he needs to improve in so many categories, right? So I just don't think that 2022 is going to be the year that he's paying off, you know, people drafting him as the quarterback six. In best ball and redraft, I think his range of outcomes aligns better with where he's being selected, but he does lack a lot of things that we chase or things that signify that a quarterback could blow past their ADP or even deliver that special season, which I think we should anticipate if we're drafting a guy as like the quarterback six, which he isn't going as in redraft, but in dynasty. Yeah. But I just don't see in 2022 that being the case because he would need to take such historically big jumps in so many categories. And he doesn't really have that rushing upside that some other guys have to compensate. So he needs to have, a truly special season overall just to be a top 12 quarterback. So sad to say that I'm, I'm almost out on Trevor Lawrence heading into 2022 in all formats because of the price. Justin Fields. Um, I think Justin Fields is a tough nut to crack because he definitely possesses all the traits we desire for fantasy football purposes, but his rookie season also left a lot to the imagination but it was such a toxic environment in Chicago, right? However, Fields took a while to get his feet wet before he actually did come on very strong during the second half of the season, despite missing some time. It really was a slow start for Fields. I mean, he didn't throw a touchdown pass until week five. He scored 10 fantasy points or less in each of his first five starts. And that was in large part to zero touchdown passes during that span. But a lot of that, was kind of due to a lack of volume in the passing game. Fields didn't have more than 20 pass attempts in any of those games. But fast forward to week eight on, and yeah, he missed some time, so we're only looking at a five-game sample, but he did score about 20 fantasy points per game. And in those five games, he flexed the fantasy muscles that we love to see. Justin Fields, 20 points per game average over the second half. That was in large part due to his legs. Fields rushed for 56 yards per game in those five starts. That was only behind Lamar Jackson's 57.4 yards rushing per game during that span. So Fields was a quarterback one in four of his final games, uh, four of his final five games to finish his rookie season, which is more than Lawrence owners got all season long, right? So what is his fantasy value right now? I like Justin Fields as a borderline quarterback one. 
because of what he offers with his legs. I have him ranked ahead of Trevor Lawrence in early 2022 best ball ranks. I I think like quarterback 15 range is safe. I have him ahead of veterans like Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, right around quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts. I'd bet that I'm going to have a ton of Justin Fields in 2022. I do think he's going to be a pretty trendy pick. I think his average draft position will rise throughout the offseason. We have to monitor that. But there's enough detractors out there that I think we're still going to be able to get a great value on Justin Fields. I think some of the detractors would offer ideas like a new coaching staff, a whole new regime entirely in the Windy City. But I think that's great because of my thoughts on the departing group of guys. But for Dynasty, it also means that a new GM comes in. And even though they have no first round pick this upcoming season because this new GM's predecessor used it to move up and select Justin Fields in the draft. The new GM, Ryan Poles, does technically have zero allegiance to Justin Fields, right? And I don't really want to rabbit hole into the new staff because the Bears elected to go with a defensive hire for their new head coaching vacancy. And I think the more important piece of the puzzle is probably their new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. He was, of course, the Packers quarterback coach and the Cheeseheads passing coordinator in 2020 and 2021. In those two seasons, by the way, Aaron Rodgers collected the MVP honors uh, twice, two times. So I get the trepidation for players who need to learn a new playbook and all that stuff, but I also think so little of Matt Nagy that I don't really see a problem here. I think the big problem here, or at least what the giant problem was last year, was the offensive line. Fields was sacked more than Trevor Lawrence, despite having half as many dropbacks and starting in seven fewer games. His sack rate was almost 12%, the highest in football. Zach Wilson was the only other quarterback with a double-digit sack rate at 10.3%. The Bears were the fourth most blitz team. They allowed the most sacks in football per pro football reference. And nothing is harder or worse for a quarterback's numbers than being under constant pressure and duress, right? And the awful protection that Fields got, it, it gives a lot of room for improvement in terms of what we saw from his passing stats, right? Because Fields had the fourth lowest quarterback rating among qualified quarterbacks in 2021, the lowest QBR, second highest bad throw percentage, third lowest on target percentage, some ugly stuff, but we can trace a lot of that lack of efficiency, the inaccuracy, I think to the protection or lack thereof, the play calling. And I would also offer the average depth of target as another reason, like fields was just throwing deeper down the field than pretty much everyone else. I think the big play upside that he presents with his arm, which is in addition to the elite rushing upside. I think we saw that year one, like fields flash the deep passing upside. There's no question. There are 7.4 completed air yards per completed pass ranked first in the NFL 7.1 on per next gen stats also ranked first. And he was also just one of four quarterbacks to have a positive air yards to stick on next gen stats, which is a stat I really love. Um, his 18 deep ball completions on PFF were as many as Trevor Lawrence had, but Lawrence had 18 more deep ball attempts. Fields was 24th in deep ball attempts, 18th in deep ball completions. And we talk about like regression. We we're talking about touchdowns in that department for, uh, for Lawrence fields is in line to experience even more regression. He had just two deep ball touchdowns all season. He was the only quarterback with 18 plus deep ball completions to throw two or fewer touchdowns on such passes. And his overall touchdown rate wasn't much better. Like it wasn't historically bad like Trevor Lawrence's was, but it wasn't much better. Fields had just 10 touchdown passes, 270 attempts last year. That's a 2.6% touchdown rate that ranked fourth worst among 35 or 31, sorry, qualified quarterbacks on pro football reference. And the touchdown regression 
for Justin Fields, it really extends to the run game as well. Even in his limited experience, uh, appearances there, uh, for Justin Fields, he impressed Fields was the fifth, uh, most rushing quarterback. He was fifth in quarterback rushing only Jalen hurts, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray and Josh Allen had more rushing yards than him in 2021, but fields had just two rushing touchdowns. And, uh, even from a volume standpoint, like he had the six most quarterback carries, but 13 signal callers had more red zone carries, which is where both his rushing touchdowns came from. And fields had just one carry inside the opponent's five yard line during his rookie season, which is crazy to me. And to keep going here with areas in which fields could improve in year two, there's definitely an argument about how depleted his weapons are right now, but the bears will certainly be in the wide receiver market come the NFL draft and the weapons gave fields fuck all during his rookie season. Like it can't possibly get worse territory uh, per pro football reference. Chicago posted the fewest yards after the catch as a team, just 1,606 and they had the second highest team drop percentage. So I think we could see, a new weapon or two come in and thinking like, I think the whole environment, the ecosystem for Justin Fields is going to improve. And uh, you know, the offensive line and the weapons can't really do worse than dead last. Right. And I think one way we could point out that a new scheme could really help. I think one thing we really should demand to see in year two here in Chicago is an uptick in RPOs run pass options. We best get more RPOs. In 2022, there was very little production rushing or passing uh, off RPOs, just eight RPO pass attempts, only 11 carries uh, in 2021. And I'll close with that because I think everything I've laid out with Justin Fields, these are all bonus tracks, folks. Like Justin Fields will be one of the best values in 2022 at the quarterback position for one reason only, and that is rushing. Speed kills in the NFL, and Justin Fields has freak speed for a quarterback but he ran a 4-4-4-40 at his pro day which is insane Reggie McNeil RG3 and Michael Vick are the only quarterbacks since 2000 to run faster that was at the combine albeit but even if we adjust it to a 4-5 because of the pro day setting in which Justin Fields accomplished that 40 time add in Tyrod Taylor Marcus Vick and Vince Young to the list of quarterbacks who have broken 4-5 at the combine since 2000 I actually think just, uh, you know, Vince Young is a decent comp. Vince Young was the only other quarterback at 225 plus pounds to break four five in the 40 ever until Justin Fields four 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 at 227 pounds. Uh, but I, I, you know, and call me crazy. I think Justin Fields run game is kind of like a mix of the jolt that we see from Kyler Murray and that like top speed, long stride from Cam Newton. He's just a, I think he's a freak, which is pretty much the sexiest thing I've ever heard for fantasy. Um, I should also mention like Kyler never gave us a 40 time. I think we know that he would have wowed and the same goes for Lamar Jackson. But up until recently, we got 40 times from pretty much every quarterback. So the point is with Justin Fields, if he hits, Justin Fields can be one of those big difference makers. And that's become so valuable in recent seasons, particularly in Superflex. And it's unlikely that it becomes so expensive that he's going to like crush you by missing on on him and taking him. So I think Justin Fields is nothing but upside at his cost. Yeah, there's some risk, but the reward could be a truly special season that most quarterbacks just don't even have in the range of outcomes. One guy, so Trey Lance, the thing with Trey Lance is there's such a wide range of outcomes, right? But 
in that range of outcomes exists a high-end fantasy asset, a guy who is adding in the deep passing column along with the rushing column, right? And we didn't see much of them. So the one way you have to describe Trey Lance is that he has a wide range of outcomes, and it's another risk versus reward equation, I'd say. I think Trey Lance is probably the most speculative guy uh, because the situation is pretty good, but we barely saw him last year. And with the power of hindsight, uh, it's not that strange that he didn't hit near one or even play that much. He was a raw small school quarterback. And if you look back, being a small school quarterback isn't a death knell. Like quarterbacks to go in round one from that strength of competition, like the FCS, you have guys like Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, Steve McNair, uh, Ken O'Brien, Phil Sims. So we have talented guys who go in the first round out of the F, F, uh, FCS. The the trade, I thought, like maybe the reason I thought, you know, that lent to my rose-colored glasses last year with Trey Lance is that trade up to third overall in the NFL draft. It just was one of the biggest trades in 49ers history, to be honest. But the biggest reason that they didn't thrust Trey Lance into action was that the 49ers were planning to be a competitive team who were looking to limit mistakes. And Jimmy G was able to do that, right? Garoppolo just was able to do that. The 49ers had one of the lowest bad throw percentages in 2021, the second highest on target percentage. So a lot of their success was predicated on the run game. But when they did pass, accuracy was the key. So yeah, a very run-heavy squad, a complicated playbook, and they need their quarterback to do certain things, not to mention the scheme or some of the play designs. You know, they need to change if you inject a rushing quarterback like Sir Lancelot. But even there, the upside is hard to ignore here. The idea of this outside zone scheme with Trey Lance is scary exciting for fantasy. I think a mobile quarterback like Trey Lance could make this an even more potent run game in San Francisco. Uh, and Trey Lance could be a big part of that run game. And just as a reminder, San Fran ran the ball almost 500 times last year. Seventh most team rush attempts. They had 22 rushing touchdowns as a team. But the scheme, the play calling, the weapons, they also help the quarterbacks here a lot, including when it comes to the passing game. Like teams don't blitz them much. I mean, teams blitz San Francisco the fewest amount of times last season. 20 teams were blitzed at least 150 times. San Francisco was blitzed just 111 times per pro football reference. And I could also offer the offensive line as a, as an upside play. You know what I mean? They protected Jimmy G really well. They were a top 10 graded unit in pass blocking on PFF. And we see the beautiful marriage of play calling and players and weapons. When we look at yards after the catch in this 49ers offense, they had the most yards after the catch per completed pass per pro football reference, 6.6. Kansas City and Cincinnati were the only other squads who finished above six yards after the catch per completion. And the 49ers have, if not one of the best, probably the best tight end after the catch in George Kittle. And they have one of, if not the best wide receivers after the catch in all of football in Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk is also a big threat with the ball in his hands. And I think he could be, just a side note, like Brandon Ayuk could be a big beneficiary of Lance at quarterback as well. Maybe I'll, I'll touch on that in a second when it comes to the deep passing. But I wanted to mention the constraints. And for Lance, we would love to see some backyard football and stuff. But under Shanahan in San Francisco, he may need to play in a bit of a confined offense. He might not get unleashed right away in 2022, even if he is the 49ers starting quarterback. But, but, all... Like, everything about this ecosystem is excellent. The 49ers have a lot of things in place to allow 
any quarterback to succeed, even flourish, in my opinion. And I actually love the talent that Trey Lance is. And we saw some flashes in very limited uh, appearances in year one, both of the rushing and the arm talent variety. And from a fantasy standpoint, like Trey Lance averaged 0.75 fantasy points per dropback per PFF. That was actually number one in the league among all quarterbacks with 15 dropbacks. Jimmy G, meanwhile, averaged just over a half a fantasy point per dropback, so much lower. So let's spotlight what Trey Lance can bring to the offense and what you know what might change with Trey Lance under center beyond the ability to command a 20% team carry market share. I think Lance offers extra elements to this offense with his legs, definitely. And I think he can add a more vertical element to the passing game, which has been seriously lacking in San Francisco. Last year, only Jimmy or sorry, only Joe Burrow had a higher yards per attempt than Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Jimmy G had an 8.7 yards per attempt. Trey Lance had 8.6 yards per attempt in his limited action. But if you look at how those two quarterbacks in San Francisco accomplished those numbers, they did so very differently. Lance was going for the big play a lot more, throwing deeper down the field. If you look at air yards per attempt, Trey Lance sported a 9.4 air yards per attempt. Jimmy G was at 7.5. On PFF, Jimmy G had an average depth of target of just 7.8. Lance had an A dot over 10. So the deep shots were just so notable, and the big play upside is just so much greater in this offense with Trey Lance under center. And I think that gets back to what we're talking about with the trickled effect and all the weapons in the offense and how this, these moves affect them, right? Cause eight of his 41 completed passes last year went for 20 plus yards. Three went for 40 plus yards and two of those went for touchdowns. Meanwhile, Jimmy G had just three touchdown passes of 40 plus yards all season long, just eight 40 plus yard plays despite over 300 completed passes. And if you look on PFF again, at deep ball attempts, Jimmy G had just three touchdowns on passes that traveled 20 plus yards downfield Trey Lance had two and he completed five of his 13 deep ball attempts and his yard per attempt on such passes was over 15 Jimmy G completed 11 to 33 deep ball attempts his yards per attempt was under 12 on passes that traveled 20 plus yards the high draft capital was one of the big reasons I was bullish on Trey Lance last year but it was also because of how awful Jimmy G was in the deep passing arena during the 2020 season so a lot of that is what's giving me a ton of optimism heading into 2022 because I am still pretty bullish on Trey Lance in Dynasty. I have him ranked as a top 12 guy, a top 15 guy in redraft, and I am going back to the well in best ball. He's an ideal quarterback too in that format because a lot of his upside lends to spiked weeks, and that's what we're chasing in best ball formats. Even in his limited action, he had a few games with multiple pass attempts, uh, just three of them, I think. In two of those three games, he threw multiple touchdown passes. He rushed for over 30 yards in all three of those games, and he averaged over 50 yards rushing per game in those three games. And in his two starts, Lance had 29 pass attempts and 23. So the rushing will be his fantasy bread and butter, I think, ideally. That's how he's going to hold his high floor week to week. But I think the deep passing will be crucial and that will be kind of the catalyst to what could lend to a special season because the volume is most likely going to be low in the passing game for Trey Lance or any 49ers quarterback uh, in 2022. So I have him in a tier uh, in redraft with the likes of Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields. And I can even see the argument for taking 
these guys that I'm talking about, the rushing guys ahead of some wily vets like Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford because of the cost, because of the upside and the traits those rushing quarterbacks present. I'm taking my chance on Trey Lance ahead of solid quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, and Trevor Lawrence is below all those names I've uh, I've laid out for reference. The biggest things that he needs to improve upon, though, or do well, like he needs to do some things well to be a starter in San Francisco. Trey Lance really struggled on play action in his rookie season on limited attempts. He went just 11 for 23 on play action. Meanwhile, Jimmy G completed almost three quarters of his passes off of play action. Now, there is a big disparity between the two on play action when it comes to their average depth of target. Trey Lance was like 13.3, and Jimmy G had an average depth of target under nine. But I really, really like Trey Lance heading into 2022. And I also really like underdog fantasy. I love best ball. I've mentioned it a lot of times. And if you want to use our promo code, uh, TNFF, on underdog, there is an instant match up to one hundred dollars so i really recommend that you take advantage of that and uh be part of the community here that is just obsessed with underdog fantasy so not a lot of people were obsessed with mac jones during the the draft process a eh? by far the most efficient rookie quarterback in 2021 along with the highest scoring in fantasy despite being the fifth quarterback off the board right after Cam Newton was let go last offseason, Mac Jones being the, you know, being in the best environment, the best situation for a rookie quarterback was kind of no secret. Like he seemed like he was in a good spot if he was going to start right away. And it shouldn't have shocked us, but the Patriots kind of outkicked expectations on offense. I mean, they were the sixth highest scoring offense despite ranking 15th in yards on offense. So there's a flash of the efficiency from the team level right there. They scored more points than the Rams, the Bengals, the Packers, or the Cardinals, which is kind of crazy to think about. And the one thing you can do to help your young quarterback the most is keep him upright. And the Pats had the fourth lowest pressure rate allowed in 2021 per pro football reference. Only 28 sacks allowed, the third fewest in football, despite being the sixth most blitz team in 2021. I expect that to change in 2022. Unfortunately, guys, we are talking fantasy, though. So I have a hard time, I'll just say it off the top, considering Mac Jones anything other than a back-end quarterback, too. In redraft, I have him around guys like Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and Jameis Winston. In dynasty, I have him a bit higher up. I think he's like my quarterback 19 in that format, which is where he finished as a rookie, ironically enough, right around that, that, that spot. So the lack of a ceiling, I think, is the idea that you know, he, he could just offer very few spiked weeks and the Patriots being a run first team and Mac Jones adding zero with his legs and all that just makes me pass on him constantly in fantasy drafts. Mac Jones did do better once he got his bearings in the NFL, though. And remember, during the draft process, not a lot of people thought of Mac Jones as even a day one or year one starter either. But Jonesy was the quarterback 14 from weeks four on. And all his QB1 finishes came in the last 11 games, week seven onwards. But yeah, he had just five top 12 finishes in 2021. Three of those five games came, uh, came against AFC South opponents. So Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Jacksonville. And another one came against the Jets, meaning four of those five games that he delivered uh, quarterback one performances came against top 13 quarterback matchups. And we know the Patriots attack a team's weakness better than anybody in the game plan against a team's deficiencies. 
the problem I see is unlike all these other rookie quarterbacks from last season, Mac Jones was efficient and that's all well and good, but that also leaves very little room for improvement in year two, right? Jones led rookies in passing despite Lawrence having over 600 attempts. Um, his 67.5% completion percentage was the highest amongst the quarterbacks uh, in that rookie class. That was actually top 10 league wide ranking just ahead of his uh, predecessor, Timmy Brady. Completing over two thirds of his passes as a rookie for Mac Jones is an NFL record, an NFL record for quarterbacks with 500 plus attempts in year one. Justin Herbert is the only other quarterback ever to register 500 plus attempts as a rookie and maintain a completion percentage above 65%. We also saw Jones post a on target percentage north of 75%, a bad throw percentage under 20%. Per pro football reference, those aren't world beating numbers, but they were league average ish. Uh, meanwhile, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence were all bottom five in both departments. So, efficiency is something we usually expect to grow in year two, but Mac Jones just doesn't have a ton of room to do so, to be honest. So, what he needs, what his fantasy owners need, is an uptick in volume. And the volume in year one for Mac Daddy, it was above average. I mean, he finished top 15 among quarterbacks in attempts, completions passing yards and passing touchdowns. He ranked 11th in air yards, both intended and completed like this guy. I feel like he wears 30, 30 jeans. You know what I mean? But the volume feels capped. It was last year. And Mac Jones adds so little with his legs. Add on to that, that Mac Jones averaged just five yards after the catch per reception from his weapons on offense. So for guys like Mac Jones, the problem is we need the volume to be closer to that elite uh, stratosphere in the passing game. We need 300 yard passing games and multiple touchdown games. So, you know, otherwise he's just not winning your week. And I just don't see that happening for Mac Jones. I mean, he had just two games with 300 yards passing all of last season. Those games came against the Titans and the jets who allowed the seventh and fourth most passing yards to quarterbacks in 2021. And when we get into touchdowns, we have to remember that they are the thing that drives a lot of fantasy production, but touchdowns are also the least sticky stat. And Mac Jones, 4.2% touchdown rate was the highest among the six rookie quarterbacks with 100 plus attempts in 2021. And only three rookie quarterbacks had double digit touchdown passes in year one. No rookie signal caller had more than 16 touchdown passes, except Mac Jones, who had 22. And Mac Jones paired that touchdown efficiency with the lowest interception percentage among all rookie quarterbacks. And from week seven on, Jones had 14 touchdown passes to just six interceptions. Jones did have seven games with multiple touchdown passes as a rookie. But again, I think those instances are just less reliable from season to season, even with the built-in expectation that they improve in year two. So the point with quarterbacks like Mac Jones for fantasy is that, you know, a quarterback who profiles like he does, they need both the multiple touchdown games and the big yardage games at the same time. And that is just such a hard ask in New England, not to mention the touchdowns. They did feel a bit happenstance. 13 of his 22 touchdown passes came on passes into their opponent's end zone per PFF that ranked 14th, despite 20 quarterbacks having more end zone throws. So if the touchdowns go away or they dip, he could be a pretty useless fantasy asset in 2022 because not adding anything with his legs is his biggest pitfall for fantasy because he's likely to be middling in stats that we talked about, touched on the air yards being above average, but 
that is kind of accounting stat to some extent. And it's another area that we need to see elite numbers from when talking about statuesque quarterbacks, right? And it's not like the Pats were dialing up the deep ball that much. Like these types of quarterbacks need to be throwing the ball deep downfield. Big explosive plays are one of the only ways a quarterback can compensate for a lack of rushing. But Mac Jones had just six total passing plays of 40 plus yards in 2021. If we go back to PFF, deep ball attempts, passes that traveled 20 plus yards through the air. Mac Jones had 52 of those passes, which was tied for 20th, tied with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but his 18 deep ball completions ranked tied for 18th, along with fellow rookies like Lawrence and Fields, as we mentioned. So Mac Daddy averaged about three deep ball attempts per game, just one completion, basically. And Mac Jones seems like a guy who will have a hard time Soaring too much, you know, he's not going to go too much higher above those totals, in my opinion. And, you know, there's some other statistics that we point to as well. Like Jones weapons had just a 3.1% drop rate. That was second best among 35 or 31, sorry, qualified signal callers. Only Aaron Rodgers was lower. Uh, Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, they were all bottom five in drop percentage. So, um, I definitely think this is another instance where we could see a quarterback improve in the play action department. Jones is one of 13 quarterbacks to have over 100 completed passes off play action. But among those quarterbacks, only Trevor Lawrence had fewer play action touchdown passes. In fact, 10 of those quarterbacks, 10 of those 11 other quarterbacks had as many play action touchdown passes as Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence combined. Lawrence actually had three times fewer touchdown passes than any other quarterback with 100 completed passes off of play action. So that is uh that is pretty low. And the problem is that the average depth of target was so low for Mac Jones on play action that the Pats just weren't using it to really set up, you know, the deep ball very often off play action. Uh so everything for me just comes down to a lack of excitement to draft Mac Jones. Uh, I think he's a floor play debatably in that. Um but he doesn't have that ceiling that we chase or that I think is necessary when it comes to quarterbacks we want to target later on in fantasy drafts. So it's a pass for me. Zach Wilson uh, was one of the tougher calls for me last year, I think. And he kind of is again for me heading into 2022. I do think he offers more upside compared to names around him in my fantasy rankings, but not unlike Mac Jones, I have Zach Wilson as more of a back-end quarterback too. The rushing he added was nice, but the efficiency was god-awful, and the volume was suspect, plus the type of volume was really disappointing, in my opinion. We also saw less of the scramble magic than we'd hoped for, and the Jets' offensive line just gelled much less than anticipated. So he was the quarterback 30 uh, this past season. Even in Superflex, Wilson was not really a startable asset, even when you break it down into points per game, because Zach Wilson did miss a bit of time. But he was one of the worst quarterbacks in football when it comes to fantasy points per drop back, which is tough when you're talking about an athletic quarterback. And the other concern is that we we saw just a totally boomer bust uh, asset like Zach Wilson scored over 20 fantasy points four times as a rookie. Two of those actually came against the Jets. Actually, I could lay this out. So two of his 20 plus fantasy outings came against the Jets. Both of those games occurred in the first six games of the season. In those other four games, Zach Wilson failed to reach double-digit fantasy points in all four. So I think Zach Wilson will come with some spiked weeks, but also a lot of duds, a lot of down weeks. Not putting a quarterback in much of a position to succeed, though, 
is kind of an understatement though. Like Zach Wilson was sacked 45 times in 2021, the third most. He was under pressure over 30% of the time. He's the only quarterback who could say that last year on pro football reference. The Jets gave up 53 sacks uh, this past season, fourth most. He was sacked over 10% of the time. Only Justin Fields uh, had a higher uh, higher sack percentage and and he was significantly higher than Baker Mayfield who had the, the third highest uh, sack rate. So he was under duress, forced to make throws under the worst conditions almost one third of the time. And it, it's just a lot of this goes back to the team level. And, you know, another team level component is how little they actually ran the ball. Like in 2022, I think the Jets could run the ball more. The Jets had the fewest team rush attempts in 2021. And that fact alone makes the production Zach Wilson gave us disappointing, right? Like he averaged under 200 yards passing per game, 30th in passing yards per game, and he failed to hit 300 yards in any of his 13 games during his rookie season. Even the volume, like you think of a team who ran the ball the fewest amount of times in all of football, you think the passing volume would be okay, but it, it really wasn't. He averaged under 30 pass attempts per game, barely averaged 17 completions per game in his first season. And if you thought the yardage was bad, the volume, the touchdowns were even worse. Zachary threw just nine touchdown passes all season, but he threw more interceptions than he did touchdown passes. He had zero touchdown passes in seven of his 13 games played. Three of those games, Wilson had one touchdown pass. Three times he did register two touchdown passes, but zero, three touchdown games. And the touchdowns could be hard to come by. They sure were last year, right? But Zach Wilson had just a dozen end zone attempts that was tied with Andy Dalton for the 31st most last season. And then you start to look at the catastrophic efficiency that I alluded to. Like you might have noticed, you know, in the attempts to completions per game stat, Zach Wilson completed less than 63% of his passes in every game last year except for one all 33 quarterbacks who had 200 plus pass attempts in 2021 had a completion percentage of at least 58.9 percent exact uh, except zach wilson who completed just 55.6 percent of his passes on next gen stats zach wilson scored minus 10.3 in completion percentage above expectation that was almost twice as bad as any other quarterback with 200 attempts, no other quarterback who qualified scored uh, worse than minus 5.4, which is actually Trevor Lawrence, who uh, who we have more confidence in, and of course, uh, in correcting some of those efficiency woes. His 23.8% bad throw percentage was the worst among 31 qualified signal callers. Zach Wilson was the only quarterback to have an on-target percentage below 70%. He had the worst quarterback rating among qualified quarterbacks and the second worst QBR. So just a buffet of brutal bones to pick with his rookie season. And a lot of times a lack of efficiency can be attributed to a quarterback, you know, throwing the ball deeper downfield than most. I alluded to that with Justin Fields, but that just wasn't the case here, which, you know, makes us add his average depth of target to the list of disappointments from, from 2021. And, his lack of efficiency shows up in a big way when it comes to the deep passing. He averaged 230 air yards per game, but just 99 completed air yards per game. He was the only quarterback with over 220 air yards per game to have under 100 completed air yards per game. Wilson was bottom 10 in air yards to the stick, which is surprising for a guy who, you know, has an arm and played on a complete shit team. Probably lends to uh, all the yards lost to sacks as well. Uh, hard to throw to the sticks when you're constantly in third and long situations and getting blitzed, right? 
Um, if you look at on PFF, like Wilson had 43 deep ball attempts. That's about 3.3 per game, but just 17 deep ball completions. He averaged a deep ball attempt just over 11% of the time as well. Pretty much identical to Mac Jones. And that just pales in comparison to guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance, both of whom were over 15% uh, when it comes to their deep ball rate. Uh, Zach Wilson was also brutal on play action, which sucked because that was an element of the new coaching staff coming in last year from San Francisco that we hoped would improve the offense, but he completed under 50% of his play action pass attempts. He averaged a measly 4.6 yards per attempt on such passes by far and away the worst uh, in the NFL among qualified quarterbacks and uh, the worst difference between their overall completion percentage to uh, their play action completion percentage, which is amazing when we know how bad his overall completion percentage was. So to roll all that lack of efficiency together, 6.1 yards per attempt in 2021 for Zach Wilson ranked second to last among qualified quarterbacks. His 4.6 net yards per attempt was dead last on pro football reference. Only he and Jacoby Brissett were below 5.25, which is just uh yards per attempt adjusted for sacks. Um, you know, the other one I wanted to point out too, if I look, I might have to look at my notes here really quick. Yeah, so Pro Football Reference has a stat called adjusted net yards per pass attempt. Zach Wilson became just the eighth player in the last 10 years to post a season below four. And like, if you look at the seven seasons, you're talking guys like Blake Bortles, Brett Hundley, Deshaun Kaiser, Josh Rosen, Jared Goff, and John Skelton. So the that's a, that's a motley crew, we would call it. And I hinted at the turnovers, by the way. Zach Wilson threw an interception in each of his first seven games. If you don't include the game, he left early against new England throwing 11 picks during that span. One of the worst interception rates in football to go along with one of the worst touchdown rates. But um, if we want to not beat this dead horse too much, or even convey some semblance of optimism, Wilson did uh, finish the season with five straight games where he didn't throw a single interception. So that's very encouraging, I guess, uh, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think a few other things we could shed light on to lend to a better 2022 season or even some stats that will go up for Zach Wilson in year two. That touchdown percentage of 2.3% was one of the worst in the league. The drop rate in New, in, in New York was just brutal. Uh, I think only Sam Darno uh, was worse for his weapons, so his, his weapons could drop fewer passes. Uh, and then the scrambling. I wanted to mention the scrambling. The scrambling. Only scrambled. 17 times the 13th most pressures, but 20 quarterbacks had more scrambles. But I mentioned that because we did see the flashes of what Zach Wilson can do when he does scramble. No quarterback with five plus scrambles averaged more yards per scramble than Zach Wilson. He averaged over 10 yards per scramble. And I'd like to see more designed runs too, more run pass options. Only 19 RPOs last year, 18 of them were pass attempts, only one RPO rush attempt by Zach Wilson in his rookie season. And the rushing is why Wilson has some appeal in fantasy, given how low or suppressed his average draft position is right now. He did run four touchdowns in during his rookie season, which actually accounted for over 25% of his total touchdowns, but 28 attempts on the ground, 188 yards, four touchdowns in those 13 games played. Only one 40-plus yard touchdown was scored on the ground by quarterbacks in 2021, and it was Zach Wilson. His other three rushing touchdowns, though, came from inside the five-yard line on just five opportunities. And the better the Jags get, or the Jets get in the future, 
the more rushing touchdowns I think Zach Wilson is likely to score. And, uh, you know, as I alluded to, he can't get much worse in terms of deep passing, in terms of play action passing. So Zach Wilson for fantasy, definitely a risky investment, but in dynasty, I like him probably a lot more than I do in redraft. And again, the names around Zach Wilson, when you're looking at quarterbacks, like he just, uh, he just has so much more upside uh, than the other guys that are around him. But, you know, not unlike you know, when I think of like an important home league or a best ball league, I, I definitely don't really like Zach Wilson uh, this year. So I'm already over an hour. Should I shut it down? I, I did want to mention one more guy, and that's Davis Mills. He doesn't have that money math working in his favor because of the lack of draft capital. But, you know, Davis Mills, the Texans quarterback, could make some sleeper lists and stuff. So I, I think I should touch on them. Um, that came out wrong. The first thing that comes to mind for me is that Mills is not really the type of quarterback that we target, but the efficiency he put on display in 2021, I think is hard to deny even some of the production, right? Like Millie finished third amongst rookie quarterbacks in attempts, completions and passing yards. His 16 touchdown passes ranked second. His 88.8 quarterback rating was far superior than Fields, Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence, who were all below 74 on the quarterback rating. He completed about two-thirds of his passes. And my favorite stat might be that Davis Mills had four games with 300-plus yards passing. The rest of the rookie quarterbacks combined for five. Two by Lawrence, two by Mac Jones, and one by Mikey White. <laughs> And Mills also had the most 18-point performances in fantasy among all rookie quarterbacks in 2021. Despite all that, though, Mills was just the quarterback 29 in fantasy, which was just ahead of Zach Wilson, including on a points-per-game basis. But the reason he was able to put up some impressive games but also finish so low in fantasy still was that, like, man alive, Davis Mills was very boomer bust. Looking at it from a fantasy perspective, he scored as the quarterback 16 or better in six games. He was the quarterback 25 or worse in seven games. So he was a, a decent start to a good start in six games, not even a QB two in seven games. And uh, like, just for fun, like, lest we forget his week five outing against New England, who allowed just three quarterbacks to hit 18 fantasy points all season in 2021. The Pats were the second toughest quarterback matchup in fantasy and uh, the all-time worst matchup for a rookie quarterback. I mean, Bilicek's historical dominance against first-time quarterbacks is historically ridiculous. But lo and behold, Davis Mills put up 25 fantasy points against them. So uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm looking at my ranks here. I definitely got to move him up, but he's not going to move up too much higher. I mean, I am still really low on Davis Mills pretty much in all formats. Beyond what I see as like physical limitations, I just think the efficiency is going to be hard to repeat. I don't see it having anywhere to go but down. And I don't know what the Texans offense is going to look like. Like the Texans will definitely be looking to establish some sort of run game in 2022. They had the fewest rushing yards of any team. Nobody scored fewer rushing touchdowns than Houston. And some of his efficiency came in categories that are very hard to repeat, like deep passing. Like Davis Mills converted 20 of his 42 deep ball targets per PFF, by far the best deep ball completion percentage among the rookie quarterbacks. And he had the most deep ball touchdowns. He also threw just one interception on such passes. League-wide, 26 quarterbacks had more deep ball attempts, but only 18 and more deep ball completions. Only Kyler, Justin Herbert, and Tua had higher deep ball completion percentages per PFF. So 
That is pretty crazy. And Davis Mills had the highest passer rating in all of football on deep balls among quarterbacks with seven plus deep ball attempts. So he's really relying or he really relied on that efficiency because the volume wasn't great. And you see that with his air yards and stuff. And even his average depth of target was under eight, which ranked 27th on PFF is 7.8 a dot. And he had a minus 1.6 air yards to the stick. So I, I grant you that Davis Mills is much cheaper than the other quarterbacks from the 2021 class, but he has that Mac Jones complex at play where his efficiency has nowhere to go, but down the situation is much harder to bet on uh, than an environment like new England. Davis Mills just doesn't have that sexy ass draft capital attached to him either. Like the other rookie quarterbacks from last season that we've touched on and his physical tools just aren't on the same level as the other guys, in my opinion. So I think as the dust settles a bit during the offseason, I mean, Brandon Cooks is going to be back in town. Uh, that definitely goes a long way to that deep passing efficiency. But with the NFL draft a few weeks away, I probably end up moving him up, but it's hard for me to squeeze Davis Mills even into the top 24 at the quarterback position, even in Dynasty. So that's definitely all I've got. I know I spent a lot of time on these guys, but I feel like if... If late round quarterback is viable in 2022, it will be in large part because of some of these sophomore quarterbacks, especially names like Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So thanks a bunch. Please like, comment, subscribe, follow our work at truenorthffb.com, at truenorthffb on social media. I'm at Tyrell, uh, at TNFF Tyrell. The Lord and Sealer is at TSEAL14. And until next time.